Turn your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 8. We're in a series. If you're visiting with us, we're in a series in the book of Romans, and we've come to chapter 8, verse 18, and I'm going to read through verse 28. I'm going to read through verse 28. Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 18, where Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the children, of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. But not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. <clears throat> for in this we hope, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is not seen is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And who searches the hearts knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he... For we'll stop right there, okay, verse 28. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the privilege that we have to be in this wonderful place and to study your word. And Lord, as we seek to understand what your word is saying to us, we just pray that your Holy Spirit, the teacher the Comforter, um, might speak to our hearts, uh, reveal to us the things that you would have us to know. For we pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. You know, there is a basic principle that runs through the Scriptures, both the Old and the New Testament, and it is this. Suffering comes before glory. Suffering comes before glory. Just think about the children of Israel. Before they could enter the glory of the promised land, they had to walk through the wilderness of suffering. Before the Lord Jesus Christ, before he could wear the crown of glory, he had to bear the cross of suffering. And then, as believers, before we can enter the glories of heaven, we must walk through the valley of suffering. Suffering comes before glory. That's a principle we see throughout the Word of God. Suffering is a part of our heritage as children of God. We will all suffer to some degree or another, some more, some less, but one thing is true. We will all suffer. Jesus said this, in the world you will have tribulation. Uh, that's really a promise. It's a promise. You will have tribulation. The Apostle Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. 
He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial which is to come upon you to test you. For though, as though some strange, uh, some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad in his, when his glory is revealed. The Apostle Paul says, just back in verse 17 of chapter 8 of Romans, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So as God's children, we will suffer. Then comes the glory. Then comes the glory. First the pain, then the glory. But you know, the question is, is our future glory worth the suffering? Is it really worth it? Is our future glory worth the suffering we must endure in this life? And Paul answers this question with an emphatic yes. He says in verse 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Oh, my friend, there is a glory that awaits us as believers in Jesus Christ that is far greater than any suffering we will ever have to endure on this earth. Yes, life involves suffering, sometimes intense suffering. But the worst suffering that we must go through in this life doesn't compare with the future glory that will be ours. There is no comparison, hands down. Our present suffering is like a drop of water compared to the vast ocean of our future glory. Now, Paul knew what he was talking about because he was no stranger to suffering. He suffered greatly. None of us here today, doesn't matter who we are, has come close to the suffering that this man endured during his lifetime and also his ministry. In fact, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul recounts his suffering. He speaks of beatings, stonings, imprisonments, shipwrecks, starvation, exposure to the cold, nakedness. Now, when have you or I ever experienced anything like that? When was the last time you were stoned with stones? When was the last time you were starving to death? When was the last time you were out in the freezing cold naked? When was the last time you were imprisoned? None of us have endured anything close to this kind of suffering. Yet this is the same man, this is the same man who says the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Now, Paul is not minimizing suffering. He's not saying suffering isn't difficult. He's not saying that because we know it is. Uh, suffering is never easy, never easy. But when we come to realize the glory that awaits us, it makes it much easier to bear the suffering that we must go through down here. But how do we know for sure? How do we know for sure that this future glory is coming? How do we know for sure that this future glory is certain and, and not just some pie-in-the-sky hope? How do we know that? Well, Paul helps us here in this passage. Paul says that there's three that testifies to our future glory. 
creation, the children of God, that's you and me, and the Spirit of God. And Paul puts it this way in this passage. He says, creation is groaning for this future glory. He says, the children of God are groaning for this glory. He says, the Spirit of God is also groaning for this glory. There's an awful lot of groaning going on in this passage, as you will see this morning. First of all, I want us to see that creation is groaning for glory. Look what Paul says in verse 19. He says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. And the picture here is really picturesque. It's of a man eagerly waiting for something special to happen. Uh, craning his neck out to see something special. Kind of like fans at a football game, you know. You're on the edge of your seat, sticking your neck out to see that big play. I love the way Philip's translation puts it. He said, the whole creation is standing on tiptoes, tiptoes, eagerly awaiting the revelation of the sons of God. I really like that. This is what creation is doing at this very moment all around us. It is eagerly awaiting the coming glory of the sons of God, and that's you and me. But also, creation is, also, um, <clears throat> creation is groaning, he says here in verse 22. He says, for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together, groaning together. What is this groaning? What is this groaning? Well, it's groaning of pain. Uh, Paul says the whole creation has been groaning and moaning in intense pain up to this time. Why? Because of an act that took place in a paradise garden long ago. Adam sinned. And as a result of his sin, God pronounced a curse upon the earth. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 20, of chapter 8, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subject it in hope. In other words, because of Adam's sin, the entire human race fell into sin. But not only did the entire human race fall into sin, the bondage of sin and death, but the entire physical world fell as well. When Adam fell, all creation fell. Now, what did sin do to God's beautiful world. Well, sin put thorns on roses. Sin put weeds in our gardens. Sin made animals predators and killers. Sin brought disease, decay, and even death. It's all a result of sin. Of course, the world wasn't always like this. We know that. God created a perfect world in every way. In fact, he pronounced it good, and when he created man, he pronounced it very good. It was a pristine paradise with luscious plants and trees that yielded beautiful flowers and delicious fruits with exotic animals and birds of every kind. All of creation lived in perfect unity and harmony, man with man, animals with animals, However, sin changed everything. Sin brought a curse on the earth to become the victim of death and decay. The perfect glory of God's creation was taken away, and creation has been groaning in pain ever since, longing for restoration. 
You know, all we have to do is just look around us and wherever we look, we see creation groaning in anguish under the curse of sin. Just go out into the forest sometime and hear the frightened cry of an animal, a wounded animal groaning in anguish. A rotting tree, a decaying tree. Go to Puerto Rico and see the devastation of Hurricane Maria that killed tens of thousands of people. Go to Haiti and see the ruins of the earthquake that leveled and devastated that land. Go to Kenya, Africa and see the famine and the disease that's killing men and women and children. But you know, we really don't have to go that far, do we? All we have to do is just go to our own coast and the PD area of South Carolina and see the destruction caused by river flooding. And the question is, what is happening? Creation is groaning in pain because of the curse of sin. But it's not always going to be that way, praise God. God cursed the earth in hope. That's what he says in verse 20, in hope, anticipating a glorious day that is coming. He says in verse 21, when the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And on that day, creation will be set free completely. The curse will be removed. The glory will be restored. But not only is creation waiting, eagerly waiting this day, not only is it groaning for that day, Paul says creation is in travail. Verse 22, again, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Now, those words, in the pains of childbirth, refer to intense labor pains of a woman giving birth. Now, see, creation is not only in pain, it is in travail, unrelenting pain. Now, you probably don't know this, but Cindy gave birth to three of our children naturally. You say, well, why in the world did we do that? Well, we were young and we didn't know any better, okay? <laughs> and we went through the Lamaze classes. Did anyone do that in here? Yes, okay, we've got some Lamaze. Remember the hee-hees? The hee-hees? Yeah, yeah. We went through all of that. And, and I, I just must admit that I became kind of a professional when it came to childbirth. I really did. I was really proud of myself. And you know, there's two things that I really learned, two things that I really learned going through this childbirth. Number one, it hurts. It hurt me because Cindy about bit my finger off. No, just kidding. But also, it has a happy ending. It has a happy ending. Now see, the, the labor is painful. Oh, but when the baby comes, the pain ends. And then from there on, it's just joy and happiness because a new life has come into the world. And that's the way it is with nature right now. Right now, nature is in great travail and great pain. But the day is coming when the pain will end and a new creation will be delivered. And that's what we're looking forward to. When will this take place? Well, when Jesus comes to this earth to institute his kingdom here on earth. And then after that, God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, which is going to be the home of believers for all eternity. 
The curse will be removed. The creation will be restored. The glory will be restored. Yes, creation is groaning for glory. But also I want us to see from the text that the children of God are groaning for glory. That's, that's you and me. We're groaning for glory as well. Read with me at verses 23 through 25. It says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. And that, that phrase is key, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, for in this, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what, he, uh, for, for what he sees? For we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. You know, even though our spirits have been redeemed, and our spirits have been redeemed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, but our bodies have not, and, and that's just not hard for us to understand. And because of that, we're still groaning. I say, nature groans? Guess what? We groan in our bodies. And I, I'm remembered of that. I'm re reminded of that every time I get out of the bed in the morning. We groan physically because our bodies are growing old. Our eyesight is getting dimmer. Our hearing is getting bad. Our joints are getting stiffer. The Ryder brother, the Ritus brothers, Arthur and Ritus, are giving us a fit. You know, I love Dr. J. Vernon McGee. He's now with the Lord. But um, he said that when he was getting older, his arthritis um, hurt him really bad down in his knees. And he could hardly go down the stairs. And he says he groaned every step he took as he was going down the stairs every morning. And his wife would tell him, Vernon, quit that groaning. And he said, what do you mean quit groaning? It's biblical. Paul says right here, but we ourselves groan inwardly. <laughs> Uh, yes, we groan, but we groan in hope. Why? Because a better day is coming. We groan for a body that will not know sickness, pain, suffering, and death. We groan to put this old body off and put on a new glorified, resurrected body. And Paul says in verse 23 that we have the first fruits of the Spirit. And you know what that is? The guarantee of something better to come. You know, we think life is pretty good down here, and it is. I'm thankful for this life. I want to stick around for a while longer. But we ain't seen nothing yet. On that day, we will have a new glorified body, just like our Lord's glorified body. Yes, creation is groaning. The children of God, we're groaning for this glory. But finally, I want us to see that the Spirit of God is groaning. For us as well. Look at verses 26 and 27. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Paul says, the Spirit of God who lives in us. Now, if you're a believer, the Spirit of God has come to indwell you. He lives in you. And Paul is saying this same Spirit is praying for us with groanings too deep for words. Now, 
There are times when we don't know how to pray. You know, there's times then that we just don't have the right words. We don't have the wisdom to clearly articulate what we need to say in our prayers. And what Paul is saying, in times like this, the Spirit who lives in us helps us in our weaknesses. Helps us. Well, how does he help us? Well, he intercedes for us. He prays for us. Well, what does the Spirit pray for us? Verse 27, the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, now this is just absolutely beautiful when you think about it. The Spirit of God is able to transform our prayers and make them what they ought to be. The Spirit of God takes our prayers and then He puts them into words that's in agreement with the Father's will. The Spirit prays for the Father's will to be done in our lives, and that's the very best thing that could possibly happen to us. Now, let's think about that. What is that best thing that can happen to us? Well, Paul tells us in verse 28. Well, see, verse 28 should be taken with verse 27 and what comes before. It says, and we know that for those who love God... Do you love God? This is for you. All things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, are you called according to his purpose? Yes, you are. And this verse is for you. Now, this is a familiar verse, but what is this verse really saying to us? When you take it with what goes before, it is saying the Spirit prays to the Father. Notice, God is praying to God. The Spirit of God is praying to the Father, and the Father brings into our lives those things that are for our ultimate good. Now see, the Spirit is praying to the Father, and the Father brings into our lives those experiences, those things that are for our ultimate good. Now, it might be suffering. It might be trials, it might be troubles, it might be adversity. You say, well, Norman, how in the world could that be for our good? Well, I don't know about you, but I think it's probably true of you too. But the times in which I have grown the most in my spiritual life has been during the hard times, not the easy times. It's been during the hard times of life. See, God knows that. He knows that. And for that reason, he allows suffering to come our way to do what? To grow us up spiritually, to strengthen our faith so that we would depend on him and trust him in the hard times of life. But also the Father sends joys and blessings to us as a result of the Spirit's prayers. Well, see, God knows that we need those too. We need those experiences too. We need those joys. We need those blessings. So he brings them our way as well. Please understand what this verse does not say. It doesn't say that everything that happens to us is good. It doesn't say that. But it says that whatever happens to others, us, whether good or bad, God will cause it to work together for our ultimate good if we are his children, if we love him, and if we've been called by him. That's the promise. That's the promise.
You know, I love the words of that old hymn, Like a River Glorious. Listen to, listen to these words. Every joy or trial falleth from above. Traced upon our dial by the Son of Love. Did you get that? Let's see. Our joys and our trials come into our lives because God loves us. Because Jesus loves us. And then it says, we may trust Him fully. All for us to do. They who trust Him wholly find Him wholly true. Oh, my friend, we can trust God no matter what happens, no matter what comes into our lives, because the Spirit of God is praying for us, groaning for us until we receive our future glory. Are the sufferings and the trials worth it? Is it really worth it? Paul says, yes. Oh, it's worth it. Paul says, you can't even compare what we go through down here to what we're going to experience up there. The creation, the children of God, the Spirit says, yes, it's worth it. It's worth it because a future glory is coming to all of us who know Jesus Christ and are committed to Him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your amazing love for us. We're so thankful for the eighth chapter of Romans, Lord, that um, gives us so much hope in the midst of suffering and tragedy and trials down here. Lord, help us to, to live our lives with an eternal perspective. Lord, help us not deny what we experience down here because it's real, but help us, Lord, to see beyond the veil of tears, the, the veil of suffering, to the glory that awaits us as sons of God. Lord, I don't know all that your people are going through here today. No doubt, Lord, many are going through sufferings, sicknesses, illnesses, trials of many sorts and kinds, maybe depression, maybe family issues, maybe marital issues. Lord, we just thank you so much that the Spirit of God who lives within us knows it all. And even though sometimes we cannot articulate the words even to say, and we don't have the right words even to pray, the Spirit of God takes those words and turns it into words that is in harmony and unity with the Father's will. And we thank you, Heavenly Father, that, that your will is that perfect thing for us. It's the best thing that could happen to us because you're using all the experiences of life, both good and bad, trouble and blessing, to make us into the people of God you want us to be. We thank you for that. We thank you for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we do pray.
Amen and amen.